Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To make a horror movie not about zombies? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Double Feature where you got a uh, double the blade, double the snipes. Well, triple the blade, triple the snipes. How you doing today, Brad? I am doing good, especially watching a great trilogy like, well, a good two movies and then another movie go. featuring Blade. <laughs> We're going to call it a trilogy of movies. Uh, two, are, two are good. Pretty, pretty much great. One is, um, one is just one. We just, we, one of not, them not, is not, there. You said what? One of them is there. It, it completes the trilogy yeah. in one of namesake. There. Right. Um, man, uh, this, is, this is a good one right here, man. Um, I got to get on my soapbox a little bit here, man. When I first, when I saw the first Blade, uh, it really blew me away. Um, You know, with my generation, at least, I'm just going to speak on my generation. You know, Blade was kind of like Black Panther before Black Panther. And what I basically mean is, you know, he was kind of like the first um, mainstream black superhero in cinema, in mainstream cinema. So, uh, yeah, Blade was a big deal uh, uh, when I was growing up. This film came out in 1998. Man, uh, what he paved the way for the uh, Dark Knight trilogy that we got later on, too, is because they saw how Blade worked and they were like, okay, we can do that with Batman. (laughs) And when you and when you look at the guy who who wrote all three films and directed Blade Trinity, uh, Trinity, uh, David S. Goyer, you know, he uh, he co-wrote Batman Begins. So, yep. Yeah, definitely um, his. um specific style with the way he wrote these uh three films did give way to the dark knight trilogy and you know we're uh we're thankful for that as dc fans i'm not as thankful for uh man of steel which he also co-wrote but you know i'm thankful for what, he had what his he hands provided. in justice league as well didn't he i don't know about justice league i know he um he co-wrote batman versus superman dawn of justice he uh I didn't even I didn't even notice he wrote uh, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah, yeah, his uh, career kind of took a downturn after uh, the first Blade movie. I'll be fair. Let's be fair. Uh, it took a downturn after Blade Trinity. Trinity, because Blade Two wasn't a bad. F- we'll get into it, but um, yeah. yeah after that, I mean, you know, he had some uptick with Jumper. Jumper wasn't a bad movie. He wrote that. You remember that one? I remember that one. That one wasn't bad, but it wasn't still on the same level that we came to expect from him after Blade and Blade 2. Fair enough. He also co-wrote Terminator Dark Fate, which was a that was a pretty solid Terminator movie. I was surprised when I saw that. But that's a whole nother whole nother topic. But um all right man, Blade 1, man. What uh what when I when I watched this film the other day, man, it it just brought back so many memories and I was scared. I was a little nervous. I'm like is this still going to hold up all these years later? I don't want to disappoint myself. But, um, <laughs> dude, the minute it came on with the, the title credits, 
the flashback sequence to Blade's mother giving birth to him and him looking, you know, scarred as he's coming out of her and the doctors are holding him. Um, you know, um, the the moment he first appears and fights the vampires in that 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 little uh, in the nightclub. Yeah, that little yeah. vampire rave. There seem to be a lot of raves in these films, a lot of vampire raves. Um, dude, the, the film holds up to me, man. I will I, say it holds up yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, but yeah, even when I was rewatching it, when it goes through like the title sequence and everything, th- my first thought was, oh yeah, this this was made in the 90s. <laughs> it was. 100%. It was. It had, but it has that, you know, it, it was made in the late 90s, 1998, and it has that gritty feel to it, man. Like, um, it has that, it's a little bit overdone like some 90s films are with the, you know, the time-lapse sequences where you see the sun go up and go down fast, you know. Um, but yeah, man, it's just so many uh, nostalgic moments got brought back. Like, um, the moment in the hospital, Donal Logue, I think that's how you say his name, um, Commissioner Gordon from the Gotham series, I forgot he was in this. Oh, yeah, that's one thing. When I was going through the entire trilogy, I kept going, oh, yeah, he's in this movie. And he's in this movie. I forgot that, uh, like, the biggest one that I completely forgot was uh, Triple H and Trinity, which we'll get to eventually. But he was the biggest one where I was like, oh, yeah, he was a thing at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, I I forgot that uh, Ron Perlman was in Blade 2. I missed him all these years. Um, but yeah, in Blade One, I remember. Uh, so Don Don Logue is in the hospital. He's burnt up, and he's biting the woman who who's the would be love interest of Blade. And I want to kind of touch on that too. But uh, Blade walks into the hospital, gives this man a right hook. He says, "Came back to finish you off." I'm like, "There it is. That's my childhood. That's my hero right there." And it all came crawling back, and I I just had a fun time watching it, man. And Stephen Dorff, man, he's he's pretty great as Deacon Frost too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that everybody that was in this one, the first Blade movie is perfect in like every casting decision. Uh, yeah, there like, wasn't a single miscast opportunity. Oh, definitely, Chris Christopherson as Whistler, uh, and Bushy White as um as um the woman that uh Blade saves. I want to get her name. Hold on, uh, Karen, Doctor Karen Jensen. You know, and you had um, Udo Kier as the uh, as the guy that's, I guess, Deacon Frost's enemy. Uh, he's always playing creepy dudes. But, um, yeah, you got him in this. You got Sonalathon as uh, Blade's mother. This is this this did have a solid cast. And the one thing I say about the movie is I could see this coming out today. Like like it doesn't it doesn't look that dated. It looks like a 90s film, like you said, with the credits. But other than that, it, it looks like a film that could be made today. It definitely does have some, like, 90s effects with some of the action scenes. Yeah. But it, that would be updated. The overall plot, the overall kind of casting choices and everything like that, it could definitely hold up if it came out in theaters today. And update the CG a little bit, and it'd be perfect. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. I always say, man, like Blade is one of those great laconic anti-heroes. He doesn't say much, but when he is saying something, you know, it's either giving you the straight to the point rundown of what's going on, or he's um he's saying something like kind of smartass, like like and, and even beyond that, there's the scene like right after the scene I just told you when he punches the guy, the cops come in, 
they shoot at his bulletproof jacket. He's like, what the fuck are y'all out of y'all damn minds? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm the good guy. Like, like, like he, he breaks character for a second. Like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, it's Wesley just, Snipes it, in this role, I, he it makes it. it hard to think that anybody else could take on the role of Blade. Yeah, that's when you know you've done a great job. When no one else, when you really can't see anyone else playing Wolverine, like you, you know that Hugh Jackman really put the plug on what we what we know Wolverine as, or you know Wesley yeah. really put the plug on what we know. He laid the blueprint down for what we know Blade as. Um, right, and it seems to be mostly with like comic book movies that an actor kind of takes the role and it they actually adapt the comic based on that person's role. Like uh, Nick Fury in the comics completely changed when Samuel Jackson took over that in the Marvel movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. Same with Tony Stark uh, in the new run of Iron Man. He's more close to the version that we saw in the movie. Uh, Blade was one of the first ones that that happened to where after there was such like recognition for him being the half human half vampire because in the comics up to that he was just a regular human that was just a vampire hunter Mm. so that was one of the things is like blade was one of the first movies that changed the comic books because the mainstream movie was so popular and people were going well this is different than the comic book that i just bought so they changed it up a little bit he actually got turned into like a half vampire after the movie came out i believe I never knew that. I never knew in the comics he was just a regular guy. Yeah, I know for the longest time he was. It. I know that he got turned into a half-human, half-vampire by Morbius, uh, who was supposed to get a movie starring uh, Jared Leto this year. But we okay. have yeah. yet to see what will happen with that one. But uh, Which is what got people thinking that uh you know with uh sony making that movie it was gonna tie into the upcoming blade movie that uh is coming from marvel soon as a result yeah like i think that's cool that a marvel film kind of changed the comics like the like the the adaptation changed this changes the source material yeah it's pretty cool man it's cool to know that um yeah, it's one of the first, to my knowledge, that actually did that. Because everything else, they kind of just always went, well, the source has to stay how it was, even if you're changing it in the shows, like the Incredible Hulk show and stuff like that. But Blade, it, because the mainstream loved the idea of him being like a daywalker, half vampire, half human, they mm-hmm. uh, readapted that into the comics. That's That's cool, man. I think the one thing you take from all of these films as we as we jump into like like two and Trinity later, um, well, we kind of leave Trinity off, but uh, imagery, man, like just the the setting, like atmosphere, tone, and visual style, like with the first two Blade films, they're they're top notch. Stephen Norrington, who directed this first film, he really did. He he really did lay the blueprint for what Del Toro expanded on with Blade Two. Yeah, and that was another thing. I completely forgot that Del Toro did Blade Two. Yeah, me too, man. I I forgot that as well for for a minute. I always knew he did a Blade film. I just forgot which one. Yeah, I always thought that he did Blade Three for whatever reason. That was in my head that he did the third one, but yeah, I was wrong on that one. 
because it apparently went to David S. Goyer directed the third one, I think. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. We, we got to talk about that. Yeah, he did direct <laughs> it. Yeah, but when uh, it came to that first one, it it hit every note that it needed to. It gave us a lot of great action scenes. Uh, the starting action scene in the rave is still one of my favorite, like just pure gore action scenes in like a comic book movie. Oh uh, yeah, I can't think of any scenes that hold up. Like even the ending scene pales in comparison to that uh, opening scene in the rave, in my opinion, at least. Um. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That's not a bad scene. Um Yeah, I uh that that did set the the bar for like uh for like action scenes to come. Hmm, I guess out of all the blade scenes, that's the one I, I kind of mostly do remember, the rave scene when he first uh shows up on the spot because it is well done. It's it's well shot and you know, it is gory. Um the bloodbath is gory. Yeah. yeah, I just love this movie, man. It just it swings for the fences and just doesn't miss. I, I love this this movie. I think my only problem with this movie, and it's not even really that much of a problem, is the ending just goes really cartoony really quick. With the whole, like, inner skeletons and uh, with the wings and everything that come out of the vampires. Oh, yeah. and uh, I think that was... I think that was one of those 90s films... Hey, look, we're doing something cool, kind of moment. And I was like, yeah. I, I was it's all right, but I could take it or leave it. Yeah, it, it just got very strange at the end uh, with the one bad guy. Just, I can't remember what it was, but I remember just thinking, yeah, this just went Looney Tunes real quick. <laughs> uh, I mean, it made sense what was happening. You know, Deacon Frost was trying to become a blood god. I, I, I understood yeah. the, the point. Um, yeah, but I, I kind of wanted to touch on this, man. I feel like throughout these three films, Blade is always set with the would-be love interest, but nothing happens. Like this woman in this film, um, the doctor, Dr. Karen, she could have mm-hmm. been Blade's love interest, but instead they just played it off like, oh, she's a companion who he saved because she looks like his mom and he has a heart, so he just brings her along with them. They could have played... They could have played something on that. Like, you know, I understand the scene where he sucks her blood. It has, like, sexual overtones to it, the way it's mm-hmm. split up and edited with the the scene where Deacon Frost is becoming a blood god. But it's like, even then, it was like, they, they could have showed them kiss or something or get close. Like, it was like, it's like they, they played around with it, but... Blade is this uh is this hero. He's a he's a he's a cowboy lone samurai. He doesn't need love. Well then why the fuck is Whistler there if he doesn't need love? You know what I mean? See, I, I'm gonna have to say I disagree with you on that one. I kinda like that they didn't force like a love interest at the end. Cause throughout the movie they really don't have much of a connection at all. They don't really have any moments or anything beyond, you know, she happened to be at the hospital and you know she reminds him of his mother who just prior to that he you know uh i don't think we're gonna worry about spoilers for a movie that's over 20 years old now but it literally just Ah. killed prior to that ending scene you know so right i I don't i don't like the forced love interest in movies uh especially when it's like the last five minutes of the movie or something like that 
well, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I, it doesn't have to be forced. I was saying, like, from a writing standpoint, I was like, this is a perfect thing where you meet a woman through circumstance. Um, you get close throughout the movie, you know, and you could set her up as a as a as a potential character or a potential foil to his character for sequels. That's how I looked at it. And I was like, ah, they, OK, they didn't go there. I, I guess I know why. But then what's the point of her in the in the first place? I think they were trying to set her up as a bigger role in a second Blade movie, but it just didn't pan out for the actress or the writing or something that Guillermo del Toro didn't like about the idea. Because it feels like they were setting it up because at the end he mentions, you know, I'm going to need a better serum. Yeah, like and he then sets it up. Like, nothing like, comes up. be a relationship. Right. I don't know, man. I just felt like, eh, whatever. Um, a great scene to me that sets up good tension, and I think it's the sound design that gets me, is the scene where him and Deacon Frost are meeting in the park, and Deacon has that um, that um, that young, that, that little um, Asian girl in his hand, and he's threatening. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I love that scene because everything before that scene is noisy. You hear the, the sound of subway cars or whatever. But when like uh, Blade meets him in that little clearing, everything is silent except their voices. Like the whole world outside kind of stops in a way because Blade is focused on this guy and this guy is focused on Blade. They're meeting each other for the first time and uh, they're just talking about, you know, immortality. I think that's a well-made scene. It is a very good scene. And it also has a little bit of show of character of Blade that. He's literally holding a hostage and going, don't make me do it. And Blade's reaction is, I'm here to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Regardless of what, you have nothing that can stop me from going for this goal right now. Right. And then and he also says, like, he says, so what if you kill her? We're all just cattle, right? He kind of, like, flips the line yeah. that, that Deacon Frost says to him. Like, they're like humans are just cattle. Um. Yeah, man, that was a very solid scene. I uh, I, I like this movie. It, it holds up, and I'm glad it holds up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the entire... There's a lot of great scenes in the movie. There's a lot of good cinematography in it. Uh, I Honestly, the only thing that I wish they could tweak or something like that, or I would love to see kind of changed if uh, he ever got the opportunity to do a director's cut, which obviously is a little late for that especially since we're going to get a new Blade movie in the future, uh, yeah. would be the ending. Just kind of tweaking it a little bit and kind of trying to keep it into the same tone as the rest of the film. Okay, so what part are you... Are you talking about the part where uh, where Blade shows up in Moscow and the guy runs up on him and then is cut to black? Or would, what part of the ending are you... Do you not I, I'm like? talking like the ending fight and everything. Oh. Where it kind of... It, with yeah, uh, like inner skeletons and the ritual is very slow paced and everything like that. When everything prior to that was very fast paced, like how it's long a- is the scene where they're standing on the like uh, scaffolding and just talking about their plan? It, it's just it doesn't feel like the rest of the movie. It, yeah, it was a little underwhelming. Uh, that final fight between them, it was a little underwhelming. Yeah, that would be like the only thing that I would think to change in this up to that the rest of it is pretty much perfect on every note okay all right uh i guess that wraps up that 
you want to uh, walk into uh, Blade Deuce? Yes. So, Dose. for starters, uh, I completely forgot Norman Reedus was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he surprised me too, and and with an American ass accent at that. Yes. Yeah, he completely sounds different. And I remember when he uh, first pops in on screen, my first thought was, hold on, is that Norman Reedus? And he starts talking, he's like, yeah, I think that's Norman Reedus. It looks like him. That's what I thought. I said, like, this guy looks like a Norman Reedus, but he doesn't sound like him. And I squinted my eyes. I said, that's a young Norman Reedus. Wow. Which, this is basically the beginning of the relationship between Norman Reedus and Guillermo del Toro that ended up, uh, you know, culminating in, what was it, Death Stranding with Kojima. Because the three of them were involved with that project. Say that again? Uh, Death Strand, the game, Death Stranding. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh... Originally, uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to make a Silent Hills game featuring Norman Reedus, and he teamed up with Kojima to do it, but due to licensing and everything like that, they couldn't make that game, so they basically moved it all to a new game called Death Stranding. But apparently this was... I didn't realize that Norman Reedus had worked with Guillermo del Toro previous to that project, and apparently he had with this one. Uh this is news to me. I didn't know that either. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's run down the line. So, you know, we got uh, uh, Blade 2, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro entering the building. Uh, David S. Goyer still writing. I, um, you know, I barely remember this movie uh, when, I, when I watched it this morning. Um, so watching it uh, after a long time today. Uh, I think this is a very solid sequel. I like that um, this film like kind of delves into the mythology of different vampires because this one deals with the vampires employing Blade to help them hunt down these vampires who are kind of diseased, who have like a virus. Um, so they're not really vampires. They're like vampires that like to feed on vampires. So I, I like that concept of it. Um, this is um, I really think if you were to pitch this movie today. Uh, Guillermo del Toro directs a Blade film, and that's that's pretty much what you got here. Everything from yeah. tone, yeah, everything from tone to style bleeds del Toro. You know, the costume design, the set design. It, 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 this is a del Toro film through and through, but it's also a Blade film. Um, overall, man, I liked it. It didn't grab me as much as the first one did, but it, it grabbed me, and it was it, it was well made. It, it didn't. I don't remember any major action scenes that really stuck out in this one, except for the uh, opening. I remember the opening action yeah. scene. The oh yeah, when he's looking for uh, Whistler. Yeah. Or yeah, Whistler. I don't remember the um like the tunnel scene. The tunnel scenes are cool, you know. They're 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 cool action scenes, but they don't they don't get you hooked as much as the opening scene does when he's first looking for Whistler. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Mostly because he's talking about Whistler, and in the previous movie, as far as we know, Whistler is dead. Yeah, he so was supposed to be dead. And he now was supposed sudden, to be dead. But now, now he's, a he's a vampire. 
that was strange. That was strange. Yeah, I, I was watching this with my fiance. She says, but he died, though. Like, they, they bring him back from the dead? Vampires do that now? Like, we, we, was, we was a little thrown off by that. I think that's more they kind of went, well, no, we can't get rid of him. People liked him in the first movie. But in this movie, all he does is complain the entire movie. I don't think he does anything. <laughs> he plays the he plays the 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 ranting old man role. Yeah, like, all he does is complain you about you're doing. Yeah, the whistler yeah. in the first film was kind of more you know um, go with the flow. This guy is kind of a, a ranting. You know what the hell you think you're doing, boy? Uh, you know I was like, yeah, whistler, shut up. You know because he he was kind of whiny in this film. He was. Yeah, I I loved him in the first film, but I did not care for him at all in this one because basically the entire time he just goes uh, to Norman Reedus's character. Uh, crap, it starts with an R. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, but I can look it up right now. Yeah, but the entire time, all he does Scud. is... His name was Scud. Oh, Scud. I was completely off. Uh, wow, was... his name was Scud? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Scud. But he just always complains about, uh, I used to do what you're doing, and I did it better. You know, well, you're he... doing that wrong. You know, I you took this from me. That's his entire it... arc, is just complaining about that. In all fairness, though, Scud ended up betraying Blade, so, you know, uh, Whistler yeah. wasn't wrong to get mad at him. <laughs> so, you know, it, it ain't like Whistler was, 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 was in the wrong for uh, distrusting Scud. When you got a, a supporting character named Scud, you know this dude is going to uh, betray the protagonist. You just know that's going to happen with a character's name like Scud. <laughs> yeah, but he does. That's one thing that I uh, questioned when I was watching it is... When he betrays him, you're just kind of going, oh, so he was uh, familiar for the one dude, and now you're going to use the bomb that he said was fake, but turns out is real to kill him, but he's still a familiar. He's just a regular human. You could have used that vampire-killing bomb to, you know, kill a vampire instead of a regular human. And, And my thing was, like, you waited until this specific moment to blow up the guy that you knew was betraying you like you wait until this specific moment when you could have put that actual bomb on the actual guy that's been trying to kill you yeah this whole movie <laughs> like i which, said which, man this yeah we got to get into ron perlman he is fantastic in this movie oh he's always great in del toro's films uh oh, he, yeah he's he's great in this movie um i love the scene between him and blade when uh when he first tests blade and blade is like you know what I'm going to put this thing right to my chest right here. Come on, push it in. Try me. And, you know, Ron Perlman just stares at him. And then Blade smacks him. He says, okay, now do it. And he smacks him again. And then and then Ron Perlman tries to throw a punch. And then Blade just, like, puts him on his ass. I'm like, yeah. that was a great, that's a great little tango between them. That little dialogue. I, I thought that was well, well done. Oh, yeah. They have a couple really good moments and everything throughout the entire movie. And the fact that Ron Perlman's character is there originally as a group of assassins made to kill Blade and he's working with them. Uh, I feel like there's so much more they could have done with that that they kind of just didn't. Because they definitely have the whole, we don't like each other for obvious reasons. But then they go through this whole thing of, well, why don't you like me? Well, because you're supposed to be killing me. (laughs) 
you know, you've trained your entire life to kill me. Yeah, we're not going to be friends. I don't know what you're expecting here. Right, right. I that that is true. Um, you know, I noticed there's there's certain things that Wesley Snipes does with the Blade character that are genius to me, like certain nuances that let you know this guy is Blade. He he is Blade. Like in the first film when he uh when he thought he had killed Deacon Frost, like I think he separated his body and then Deacon Frost's body like came back together and then he turns around oh, with the amazing the CG effect of the blood. <laughs> Right, right. It's the 90s, man. You got to forgive that stuff. Like, <laughs> it's the 90s. And then he turns around like, what the fuck? But he mouths that instead of actually saying it. And in this film, you know, he kind of like, he doesn't wink at the camera, but he kind of like, uh, like does a little smile when he has like a nice clean kill of a vampire. Like it's little nuances like that that make Wesley perfect for Blade. And it also... Uh, it, it also has the negative effect in the third film, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I feel like this film um, overall wasn't bad. How'd you feel about the plot twist with the whole, you know, it turns out the old guy. Is is my mic cutting out or something? No, you're all good. Okay. How'd you feel about the plot twist or when they found out that the old Lord was actually the father of the main villain that was, uh, you know, eating people and stuff and that the virus was actually something he created to try to make another blade oh yeah so i uh, it's one of those kind of twists that you can kind of tell because they do give you a couple clues to it in the throughout the movie that they're kind of linked and that the reapers are actually just a different kind of vampire or that they're like a mutated vampire and everything like that and i, I gotta say i love the reapers and mm-hmm. especially their whole like thing where they had to drink blood every 12 hours to survive i think it was yeah yeah they were solid villains like they they yeah. were i i definitely liked them because they they were good villains they actually were threatening and their threatening was that they were going to be able to kill vampires and humans very easily but they also had a purpose behind doing it. It wasn't just, you know, for thrills. It was for their existence to continue. They had to drink blood or else they would die. So it actually puts, like, a real threat there, and it's a meaningful threat. It's not just a, we're going to do this because we're evil. It's it's an actual live or die kind of thing. Also, their mm-hmm. face opening it up, that weird kind of... Uh, you know, horizontal way and everything like that. It, it's, you know, it's well done special effects. So like I said, it, it's it was actually Del- really good. It's a Del Toro film, man. Great special effects, a uh, great uh, tone, style, atmosphere. It's a it's a Toro it's a Del Toro film through and through. Yeah, because even uh, all of them, you see, like they have the split lip or the split bottom lip. And until they, you finally see the scene where they open up their mouth, that you, it doesn't make sense why they all have that. Right. Um, so I want to speak to the opposite of what I said with the first film with um, the doctor, who I thought would be a love interest. Uh, Nisa in this film, um, the, the vampire princess. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I like that this film doesn't push a love interest between her and blade even though you could see it happening with the doctor in the first film they keep it out as it is because this is a woman who used to hunt blade 
it, w- it was their job to hunt the vampire slayer. But now she's kind of like, you know, she's a strong woman. She's independent and, you know, she's fierce. So I like that they didn't push the love thing between them. Um, so I get that. But at some point, I expect somebody. Blade has to have somebody. I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want Blade to be lonely. I want Blade to have somebody, you know, and Whistler keeps dying. So who are we going to have? Well, supposedly he can be brought back from anything. <laughs> right. Because he yeah, came back exactly. from a bullet in the head, supposedly. Uh-huh. But yeah. It, I, you know, I kind of like that they didn't try and create like a romantic interest for him throughout the entire trilogy. And they just kind of let him be the loner vampire killer he is. Because I can't think of any love interest he had in the comic books. I might be wrong on that, but I can't think of any of them. I know he fell in love with a detective um, on one episode of the uh, Spider-Man 90s animated cartoon. When he was a uh, when Blade was a guest character on that show, he fell in love with someone. Yeah, but I don't think they ever did anything like that in the comics. I think that was just a mm-hmm. part of that show kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Because he's always been the I work alone kind of person. Uh, he very rarely would team up with anybody else or do anything else. He just kind of always did his own thing, killing vampires. And mm. that's one of the things that makes him a special character is it's always going to be that. Cause you would have the same kind of idea with like daredevil and stuff, but then he would join the defenders and he'd be in like a group team up thing and taking on bigger villains and everything. Blade just kind of always did his own thing, killed vampires, hid in the you know darkness of the city, and that was that. You know, he didn't have like a dramatic kind of comic book. It was just all action, all suspense kind of stuff, thrilling. That's it. Fair enough. I'll give you that. Fair enough. A brother still needs to go home to somebody once in a while, though, man. You, you still gotta have somebody. Oh. Lisa, he needs a cat. Give him a, give him that cat that uh, <laughs> that little dog that had the thing with the mouth in Blade. Oh, Trinity. vampire dog from Trinity. Right, get, get him something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> get him a pet. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I do definitely like that they don't try and create a love interest for him and just force it on him in the movies. But Fair I. With the uh, one, I am very thankful that he didn't try and like love interest him in with the uh, one uh, person that Elisa that was trying to kill him originally, because yeah. that would not make sense at all for them to kind of try and flip that switch in the m- movie. Well, sometimes that does happen. I mean, once upon a time, wasn't Gamora trying to kill Star Lord? Right, but it wasn't. She was made to kill Star Lord. She was just going after him because he had the power stone, the same as anybody else. Right. Taking direction from Father Thanos, so she was made to go after him, right? Yeah. Well, not after (laughs) him, after the item he had. So whoever had it, she was going to go after. Well, maybe Nisa wasn't trying to go after Blade. She was trying to go after the threat to the vampires. Yeah. I, I think we're stretching I, I, a little bit here. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't agree. I, I think I, I, I hear what you're saying, though. But yeah, 
Uh, if you really wanted to pick like a way that it worked out, go with uh, Ashi from Samurai Jack, who was created by Aku to kill Samurai Jack, and they ended up getting like a love interest story out of that in the last season of Samurai Jack. Right, but Ashi had a little bit of hate in her. You know, Nisa had a little bit of hate in her from her, uh, you know, crazy father. So right. it could have worked out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You picked a terrible yeah. example. That would have been a better example of where it kind of works out. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, so final thoughts on this movie, man. Um, I think it's a solid sequel. It doesn't grab, didn't grab me as much as the first film did. It wasn't as sleek and straight to the point as the first film. But I, I felt it was solid. It's definitely a good movie. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like a sequel to the first movie. It almost feels like its own movie. Like if it didn't have Blade 2 or the 2 at the end, I would believe that it was just another Blade movie. It wasn't supposed to be a sequel to the first one. Because ah. it's really beyond Whistler coming back from the dead. There's really no connection to the first movie. Uh, I see it as a sequel. Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's a connective thread. I, I see it. I see it. Um, I see it. All right, man. So, uh, time to uh, say the best for last. The new yeah, world. Clearly, Uno. the best movie in the trilogy. Oh, that everybody oh, oh. loved. By far, by far. Um, Blade Trinity, dog. <laughs> man i what can, so uh, what can you what can you not love you got wesley you got ryan reynolds you got jessica bill you got Patton oswald you got dracula they call him drake in this film yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie apparently i never actually saw the full movie or i just blocked it from my memory <laughs> because right. when i was re-watching this movie there were so many scenes i was like i didn't remember that at all I don't remember that. Like the interrogation scene with Ryan Reynolds. I remember little parts of that, but I didn't remember the full interrogation scene going as long as it did. It's in my left ass cheek. Slap. It's in my right ass yeah. cheek. Slap. <laughs> All right. It's, it's in the meat of my asshole in that little part. <clears throat> Punch him. I'm like, dude, this is. <clears throat> okay. So David S. Goyer, uh, who's always been in the writer's seat. Now he's in the directing seat. Sometimes in, in 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 film series that works for some people, Don Man Don Mancini for a long time wrote the Chucky films and finally wrote and directed, you know, uh, See the Chucky Onward, which See the Chucky wasn't that good, but the other films after it were. What I'm trying to say is sometimes when the writer takes the directing chair, it does work. Um, with David S. Goyer directing, it it, it didn't work. It did this not time. work. Oh, it didn't work this time, man. Uh, so rundown blade um, is being hunted by the FBI because he's looked at as a sociopath. Uh, he gets set up in the beginning to kill somebody who's actually a human. Uh, it was posing as a vampire. So the FBI looks at him like a like a crazy person, which, you know, any person on the street would look at blade like he's crazy. And Dracula has been awakened from the dead. And now blade has to stop him as well. You mean Drake was waking from the dead? Drake was waking from the dead. And now he has to stop Drake. We're going to call him Drake from now on. <laughs> and Triple H Triple H is a, a henchman of uh, Drake. 
so yeah, take with that what you will. And Whistler yeah. dies for real it, this time. Uh, the casting for this one was odd. Uh, you had Ryan Reynolds being pre-Deadpool Ryan Reynolds. You yeah, Jessica had Biel. Patton Oswald being Q from James Bond. He barely had any lines. He barely had any lines, man. I barely thought, I barely knew Patton Oswald was in this. He had one line. He said, uh, yeah. hey, gentlemen and hottie, uh, this is the new gun, such and such, such and such. Ryan Reynolds. Hey, man, have you ever gotten laid? Plenty of times um, with with women. That's the only lines that, that Penn Oswald have, has in this film. Yeah, he definitely got the backseat in this one. I completely forgot he was even in it because even when they're going through the, what is it, the weaponry kind of scenes of like, here's all your weapons. This is like a uh, laser that's half the heat of the sun and, you know, it cuts through vampires and you're just thinking it would cut through anything if it's half the heat of the sun. You don't have to specify vampires at that point. Yeah, you, you really don't. So he's not even really around during that scene or doing anything. So, and he's supposed to be the weapons guy in this movie. Um, and you got Jessica Biel as uh, Whistler's daughter. So Whistler yep. is dead for real this time, and now Blade is working with his daughter. Uh, look, man. Um, this film has no style. Or, or tone compared to the other two films. Like, like the first film had a style. The second film had a directorial style. This film is just like a movie with a Blade the character in it. There's no distinctive like like tone or atmosphere to this movie. Yeah. I, I, Ryan Reynolds, you know, I don't mind the quips that Ryan Reynolds gives because Ryan Reynolds is great when it comes to comedic timing. And when and when you have a straight man like Wesley Snipes, that connection can work. But Wesley Snipes really looks like he doesn't want to be here. Like Yeah, he did the, not seem to want to be in this movie at all. The blade in this movie is way different from the controlled, badass blade we see in one and two. I told you, one of the things I love about Blade is how laconic he is. He he barely says anything unless it's something very necessary or uh, out of left field, smart ass, funny comment. All Blade does in this film is talk. All yeah. he does is talk. Like when he meets the usually when he met the dudes, um, the whole uh, what do they call them? What do they call themselves? Daywalkers, uh, the vigilante yeah. group, Nightwalkers, Night Stalkers. When he met the Night Stalkers and they showed showed him, um, you know, their layer and everything. You know, Blade was like, uh, you know. Uh, what, the, what the fuck y'all think this is? Y'all think this is a game? We're hunting down vampires. I'm like, Blade, you're talking too much. The the Blade I know would have been like, huh, cute. And would have just walked away while they're trying to convince him to stay. But he was just, Blade was talking too much in this film. Blade Isn't doesn't there a talk whole that scene much. where he's uh, talking or explaining what familiars are to like Ryan Reynolds' character? And it's like, of all the people that you need to explain what a familiar is to, it's not to his character. Yeah. Wait, who was a familiar? Wasn't he? Uh, no, he wasn't a familiar, but he was kind of an assassin. So he was aware of who familiars were and everything. 
Okay, okay. Yeah. I don't think he was and a familiar for anybody. He used to be a slave to vampires, though, right? Because like he yeah. used to date one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, if you, <laughs> this movie is not good, man. Like I said, Wesley Snipes is talking too much. Um, there's a scene where a guy is like, if I show you what's in that room, they'll kill me. Motherfucker, I'll kill you. Now show me what's in... Blade wouldn't say that. Right. Blade would be like, I'll kill you. And then he would grab him and like, you know, put the fear of God into him. He wouldn't just like... I think Wesley Snipes was phoning it in. He, he was Not only that, in. but I don't think David S. Gorier had anybody to kind of look at the script and go, you should probably cut this out. We're not doing this scene. This is too wordy. We're going to cut this. We're going to tone this around. Because he literally wrote script and then went to the director's seat and went, and action. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the production, you know, if you if you read, um, if you watch Patton Oswalt's interview on this, he'd say, like, Wesley Snipes was kind of a diva on set. He didn't, he wanted his co-stars to refer to him as Blade. You know, at one point he, uh, he kind of lashed out at David S. Goyer because he thought he was, um, he thought he had said something racist or something like that, but he didn't. But it's like... The production behind this film was like so torrid and off the wall. Like it was not, it was not a good shoot. And um, you know, I feel like that one scene where introduced to Whistler's, Whistler's daughter, where the vampires are stark stalking her because she's she's posed as a woman with a baby in her arm. We know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Cut to the point where she she tricks them and, and like you know slices their heads off. That's like a 10, 11 minute scene. Why is this scene so long? We know she's setting them up. It's yeah. Jessica Biel. Like, like she's in the main title cast. Not only that, but the idea that there's just vampires walking around the subway, just, okay, out in the open, just catcalling right. people to try and find victims. It's like, no. They've always been, like, in alleyways or in the, in the shadows. Somewhere. Not just in, like, the most, you know, busy part of New York that there is. Just cat calling people to try and find their next victim and everything like that and amazingly the subway is very empty as soon as her character comes in and the way people respond to them they just slink away from them like oh get away from me yeah it's such a just a awkward scene like like you said vampires are out in the in the daylight like that (laughs) and um oh man uh, I, I I love this this scene for its dialogue. This is the only this is one of the very few things I love about this movie. Um, Blade, ready to die? I was born ready, motherfucker. Oh yeah, I love that. I love that scene between him and Drake. Um, the fight scene after it is you know whatever. It really is a whatever type of scene. I'm I'm not that impressed by it. Yeah, the there's a lot of cool action moments. There's no good action scenes in this movie, though. Like, there's the cool moments with uh, Whistler's daughter and her bow and arrow where she's, you know, taking down people like it's nothing. It's a cool moment. It's not a cool scene, though. (laughs) There's nothing more than, you know, the two people she hits, and it's pretty cool. It It doesn't last long at all. It doesn't lead to anything else big. It's just kind of there and gone. Yeah, what's the, what was the deal with the blind woman the, whose whose daughter worked with them and, you know... Oh, the girl from Orange is the New Black. Yeah, Natasha uh, Leon's character. I forgot her character's yeah. name. 
Like, what was her deal? Um, screaming at a child to hide in a right. warehouse with people that are trying to hunt them down and don't know there's a child there. Hey, that, that's her character. Like, <laughs> Just go hide, side. hide. I'm like, there's so much wrong with this movie. Yeah. Um, the music ain't bad. I think RZA and um, Ramin uh, uh, Jawadi, who did the music for Game of Thrones, they both handle um, the soundtrack for this film. The music isn't bad. Uh, but other than that, this whole film is just uh, ugh. I will say it. It has a couple laughs. Uh, the biggest being unintentionally. With, yeah, uh, the one intentional laugh that I, I still love is the Ryan Reynolds when he wakes up in the interrogation cell and he has the Pomeranian there, kind of licking him. He chews it off and then it does the vampire thing. They're like, "We've been mixing the vampire blood with different species." So you made a vampire Pomeranian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, Ryan Reynolds is great at comedic timing. I yeah. feel like if, if Wesley was focused, if if, the, if everybody was game, if David S. Goyer wrote a tight script, this would have been a tight movie. He would have played off well with, Wes, with Wesley. Um, I think Ryan... Dude, it sucks when a Blade film, the only, um, the only real highlight or... Uh, uh, the only real highlight of a Blade film is Ryan Reynolds. The yeah. highlight should be Wesley Snipes and Ryan Reynolds. I will say, I had to thank this movie for giving us uh, Boyega kind of starting out in a comic book role of kind of going, oh, this is something that I could do. Uh, who later took on the role of Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, or not Boyega. Oh, uh, no, no, Triple H. Not Two Triple H. Uh, you no, talking about Batista, right? Batista. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, he wasn't about. in this movie. No, but he saw that Triple H was in it, and he first like got the idea, oh. I could do a comic book movie. You know, That's something yeah. really cool that I could do, because wrestlers are able to kind of adapt into that environment pretty easily with the action scenes. Dude, uh, that, that... Yeah, I was going to so, say, that's... Sin- Go ahead. Yeah, but the same with Ryan Reynolds, where he looked at Deadpool because of this. Cause everybody was like, dude, you're like Deadpool, you know, in this movie. And he had never heard of Deadpool prior to that. And he actually like picked up a stack of Deadpool comics and read through them and went, yeah, I want to do this role. Yeah. Like that, that whole wrestler cinematic boom, starting with the rock and, um, and the mummy returns, uh, John Cena in the Marine Kane mm-hmm. and see no evil. When WWE uh, released WWE films, some of them weren't bad. Some of them weren't bad. They were actually pretty solid. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so with Batista, you know, becoming an actor, John Cena becoming an actor, you know, they're not they're not bad actors. Um, Dwayne Johnson being the king of them all. Um, yeah, I could see how he could see this and be like, you know what? I might do a comic book movie sometime in my career because he's not a bad Drax uh no he's I, I perfect can, in the role of drax yeah i can see that i so, guess we could think this it, it was because fair. of blade that he kind of saw like an opening for kind of a genre of movies that he wanted to kind of be in did he say that himself yeah he said it in one interview that blade was kind of one of those first like comic book movies that he saw that he was like i i want to do something like this 
and he mentioned Triple H specifically. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how big of an inspiration it was, but it was like on the list at least. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds, he was in the wrong film in this. Um, He would have worked well in this film if if, if the sync between... If the rest of the film worked? (laughs) Yes, yes, he was in the wrong movie. He he almost feels like a character that's like, why isn't everyone as energetic or as, um, you know, spot on as me? Yeah. Yeah, the fact that he played a perfect Deadpool without even knowing who Deadpool was in this movie just goes to show how right he was for that character as well. Yes. And, and, you know, Jessica Biel, she's just there. Yep. I don't see anything like like unique from her character in this movie except she's really just there. And I, I hate I hate to say this because I don't I don't say this about a lot of female characters that do have uh, individuality, but um, she's really just there to sit and look pretty. Yeah. Well, think- even uh, what is it like almost two thirds through the film? They have like that montage with her showing off her archery skills. It's like we already saw her using her archery skills throughout the movie. Hey. Why are you giving us this scene now? Yeah, uh, this, this is a straight no for me, man. Yeah, this movie I, was bad. I, I know it has its redeeming qualities, like you said, but I just... When Wesley is just not being Blade, the movie's bad. I, I he, he was phoning it in, man. I really was disappointed watching this film for the first time in so many years today. Because this... Growing up, this used to be one of my favorites. Um, I, 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 the only, re- the only reason I could tell you is because Dracula was in it. It felt like a mm-hmm. final boss kind of thing. I don't think Dominic Purcell plays a bad Drake, uh, but again, I didn't, I didn't like this man. Yeah, uh, the movie is bad, but the existence of the movie is good because it did lead to a lot of great things and opportunities for other people. I will say that. <laughs> so the movie acts as a great stepping stone. It's a terrible stepping stone, but it acts as a stepping stone for a lot of things to come from comic book movies and actors and everything. Because without this movie, uh, we wouldn't have gotten Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Uh, possibly wouldn't have seen Batista try and like aim for comic book movies. You know, there, there's plenty of other things that... I'm trying to think of what else. It kind of killed Wesley Snipes as Blade, don't, though, sadly. Don't, don't think anything else. There's nothing yeah. else to think about. I don't think there is anything else. Just those two main things. But uh, it is going to be hard to see so. somebody else take over as Blade now. Um, I think Mar- Marshana Ali will, will do well. He's a great actor. I think he his spin on Blade will uh, will be pretty pretty dope. Yeah, I can't remember. Did Wesley Snipes comment on him being brought in as the new Blade? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But I don't think he would disagree with that decision. Yeah, because I feel like he's one of those kind of people that would comment on it. But I can't remember what he said if he did. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember if he did or not. Um, what I can say. And this is uh this is a little surprising to me because I did not know this man. Did you know that uh Underworld was possibly gonna have a crossover with Blade, the Kate Beckinsale films? Oh yes. Um, 
that was something that I found out long after the movies all came out and everything like that. But yeah, I remember that popping up in kind of a uh, related movies or trivia kind of thing at one point in time for comic book movies. That would have been very interesting. I probably would have wanted to see those films. Yeah, I think they were planning on doing one of the... It was just going to be one film, from what I recall. Of them kind of crossing over into a single film. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, I actually saw what he said. He actually congratulated Mar- uh, Mahershala Ali to uh, to be in a new blade. So um, he's um he said he's excited. He says he's a beautiful, talented artist whose expressions I look forward to experiencing for many years to come. So yeah, okay. he, he he's cool with it. Yeah, that's good. I think he's kind of done with the role now anyway. So hopefully, I think after Blade Trinity, he kind of you know was okay with passing the torch on for that one yeah i think that film was a cry for help being i don't want to do this anymore yeah like like danny glover and Lethal the weapon i'm too old for this shit. yeah <laughs> i'm getting too old for this like if blade would have said that in the movie i would have turned it off and been done like, i'm not watching this shit because because <laughs> i don't think that was in the script i think that's something wesley said and david s goyer just said all right you know what we'll leave it in the final cut it might be funny <laughs> Blade just at one point turns to Ryan Reynolds after he says a stupid joke and says, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> I, I probably would have loved that scene to happen. <laughs> yeah. He really did look like he hated Ryan Reynolds, dog. It didn't look like Blade hated him. It looked like Wesley hated him. It, because... You know what? That's very possible. <laughs> This is one of those movies that I got to rewatch with like uh, commentary tracks or something like that. Because I think that would unveil some like interesting little tidbits about the movie. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'm going to do a quick ranking, man. And I, I don't think there's there's much mystery to it. I think it's pretty straightforward here. Uh, one, two, and three. Basically, Just in that straight right. order? The order in which these movies were filmed is the order of best to worst, in my opinion. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that one. Typically, we don't agree on ordering of movies, but this is one where I don't think there's any contention at all. When I when I rewatched when I saw Blade Two for the first time in so many years today, I was expecting to put two over one because I love Guillermo del Toro, but. Even though the directing of Blade Two is great, I just don't think it, it grabs. It doesn't grab me as much as Blade One does. I think Blade One is like kind of timeless. Yeah, it does not hold up to the first one. Uh, the first one was just basically that perfect culmination of things that you didn't expect to work out, and the second one did them well, but not in an as surprising of a way. Yeah. Blade Three, Blade Trinity comes off as one of those two thousand films that you you know existed, but you kind of want to forget because you don't remember much from it. Yep. Like I, I kind of forgot Ryan Reynolds was in the movie. I know there was a funny guy that was in the movie, but then when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, that's Ryan! Oh, now Deadpool makes sense now. This is kind of <laughs> like his birth of that." Yeah, it's. Ryan Reynolds is pretty much the only thing that I really remembered about the movie. And then when I was rewatching yeah. it, I I swear I 
saw the movie in the past, but there were so many scenes that I just did not remember at all when I was doing the rewatch of it. Like, another stupid scene. Dracula walks past this memorabilia place of everything Dracula. Um, and he just walks around saying, uh, I'm looking for uh, vampire tools. They're like, okay, look around. We got a Dracula vibrator. We got a Dracula cereal. We got a... Why would Dracula and his wise, in all his uh, wisdom, walk into that place actually... I don't think he walked into that place looking for tools. I think he just wanted to bite somebody. But it's like, what what was the purpose of that scene? Yeah. Yeah, there's so much in the movie that just doesn't make sense. It could have been cut down. It's just too talkative. It's kind of forgetting the whole show don't tell and just kind of telling you the story of everything that's happening while showing you things that make no sense. Yeah, and like Ryan Reynolds has that montage where he's explaining uh, Dracula and the and the legend of Dracula. I'm like, dude, we don't need to know all this. Dracula is Dracula. Hunt him down. Get to the point. You know what I mean? That's right. It opens with the narration by Ryan Reynolds of, you know. Well, that too. This, but then yeah. there's the scene in the middle too that expands on that. Yep. Um. I think this is someone who takes a first draft of a script and just yells action and just gets gets to filming. Yeah, they basically had a set date for when they started filming, and the night before, he was like, oh, crap, I was supposed to write a movie, wasn't I? <laughs> Not the night before, two hours before, before shoot time. Yeah, it's still written together. in pen. It hasn't even been typed up yet. <laughs> right. Let's put 90 pages together and say, all right, this is the film. Yeah. It, oh, it was yeah, just movie, so bad. That film left a bad taste in my mouth, man. I mean it. I, I don't know if I'll ever watch that again. Maybe for shits and giggles one day. Um, but yeah, one and two hold up to me. One, two definitely still hold up. Three, I don't think anybody ever enjoyed, so... I think it still holds up to what people enjoyed about it before, which was, you know, Ryan Reynolds is in it. Uh, Beyond that, it's just bad. And I fully look forward to see where they go with Blade in the future, though. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm sure they won't disappoint with that one. Yeah, I'm sure they won't disappoint. (sighs) The sad thing is it was supposed to be like 2022 that they were going to start doing stuff with that, but now it might be pushed to, like, 2024 or something. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so what you uh, what have you been watching lately, man? Anything new you've been watching? Uh, Beyond the Blade movies, nothing really new on my side for movies. Uh, I know I put on some stuff from Netflix to watch, but none of them are anything that was good enough to remember. I want to check out that new Netflix film, uh, Project Power, with uh, Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and uh, I think there's a newcomer actress in there. Um, It kind of sounds like Limitless. I think you're given this pill, and anything that you're great at, you excel at. Uh, I hear it's a pretty solid film, man. It it sounds like one of those films you would actually pay to see in theaters. Hmm. I haven't heard about that one yet. I'll have to check it out see. Yeah, it's a new one, and I kind of, I think I'm going to rent this movie 
uh, that talks about the the making of uh, Ren and Stimpy and uh, its controversial uh, series creator. Uh, uh, it's a documentary. It's called Happy Happy Joy Joy. I I want to check that out. Happy. That actually sounds interesting because I grew up with Ren and Stimpy. I love it. I uh, did yeah. not like when it tried to do who was it comedy central bought it and tried to revamp it for adults that yeah. one was not good same creator uh for for both projects yeah uh the creator himself is kind of he's a little creepy he has some allegations against him um but yeah the the documentary is called happy happy joy joy because i think that's a line from the cartoon oh um, it was a famous song in the cartoon yeah you know in um Ren and Stimpy, man, when you kind of look back on that show, it was a little demented. A lot oh, of stuff yeah, that show had demented. a lot of creepy, like, undertones to it. Yeah. Stimpy, you idiot. Uh, you know, like, yeah, that was a demented show, man. Uh, so when it got to Comedy Central and it, they made an adult version, I think that was Spike TV, not Comedy Central. Was that um, Spike TV? Yeah. Uh, it feels like and this is what you told me. You said a show on um, on Apple TV is basically the adult version of regular show. Uh, grown ups or grown things. What was it called? Oh, uh, it's on HBO Max. Uh, HBO close enough. Max. Close enough. You were the one that told me. Yeah, close enough is basically what regular show was supposed to be, but because yeah. it was pitched to Cartoon Network, they made it you know more kid friendly. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, that's a show that worked out in, in good favor per, per what you told me. Whereas the oh, Ren yeah, and Stimpy 100%. for Spike TV. It's great. Yeah, whereas the Ren and Stimpy for Spike TV is kind of, yeah, you didn't need to go. Like, I get the, the, the jokes that are made in Rocco's Modern Life. I get the, um, the, the, the sly adult jokes you catch when you rewatch the series. But you don't need to make that stuff explicit. There's something to be said for subtlety. You know what I mean? Yeah, because if I recall correctly, the first episode of like the adult version of Ren and Stimpy starts with like a bunch of gay jokes, and that's the entire episode. It's just a bunch of, you know, they're homosexuals now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not good. Im- if, if you haven't seen it, skip it entirely. Uh, I can imagine it, man. I can imagine anything you're saying, because, yeah, like looking back on it, it that, that was... It was demented enough um, as a as a Nickelodeon cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a cartoon that would not get on TV as a kids show today. It would be like on Adult Swim as it aired on Nickelodeon, and then they tried to just up the ante on making it adult, and it just got you know too far into that like adult category where it's like this isn't even funny anymore. This is just weird. Right. And, like, Stimpy doesn't even look like a cat. Ren doesn't look like a chihuahua. Like, like, well, no, Ren looks a little bit like a chihuahua. He looks closer <laughs> to a chihuahua than Stimpy, Stimpy looks like a cat. Stimpy does to a cat. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, yeah, man, I think I might uh, check out that documentary behind the making of that show. See what little tidbits I find out. I always like that stuff, man, when there's juicy behind the scenes of, of stuff you grew up loving. If you ever have a chance, watch a documentary behind the making of Apocalypse Now uh, uh, called Hearts of Darkness, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola's wife. 
Um, well, I think it's co-directed by her. Yeah, very good documentary of like how that film came to fruition because Marlon Brando was a fool, man. He he was wild. And I Francis mean, I had Ford to check Co- that one out. Yeah, and Francis Ford Coppola. Apocalypse Now was set to be a disaster because Francis Coppola kept extending production on it, kind of lost his mind in the middle of making it um, temporarily. But uh, yeah, it's a very good movie. Yeah, Apocalypse Now is a great movie. I've never seen any of the documentaries behind the making of. I'm going to have to check that out. That's the only one. Um, okay. And it, it's, it's, it's great when the documentary is just as good as the film. Yeah, Hearts of Darkness is a great documentary uh, of That's Apocalypse That's a rare now. thing, because typically it's people love the documentary about the making of the movie, or they love the movie, and the documentary is just kind of boring. Let me tell you something, man. Troll 2 is a solid movie, but I love the documentary behind Troll 2, the best worst movie. Oh, That's the great... one where they start like going around with some of the actors to like conventions and stuff, and kind of yeah. following them like after the movie hit it big? Yeah, that's a great documentary. I yeah, love that, that is documentary. A, oh, I love that one. Uh, yeah, there's that one. Um, there's there's quite a few out there. Um, but I think that's the one that I love the most, that one. Because I, I didn't know what Troll 2 was before I saw that documentary. And when I watched Troll 2, I'm like, I'm glad I know that this exists. Yeah, Troll 2 I remember seeing because it was just the known meme movie. Like the, oh my god, they're right. eating her, and then they're going to eat me. And then the yeah. fly gets on his face. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Nilga backwards is goblin. Oh man, and then there's a documentary called Never Sleep Again, which covers almost all of the Freddy Krueger films. Like goes through each film. It's a long documentary, but it, it passes by so fast because if you're a Freddy Krueger fan like myself, who, I got the whole box set collection of all the movies. Like, li- like watching all the actors today talk about their roles in the film is in each film is like, yeah, I like this. Yeah, I'll have to. There's a couple that I've seen that aren't coming to mind right now on different like movie documentaries. Uh, but I also watch a lot of like behind the scenes kind of stuff on movies, especially like that's one of the reasons I love getting Blu-rays still for yeah. movies that I love is those behind the scenes kind of featurettes and like the audio commentaries and the stuff you don't get on Netflix or Hulu or HBO. Yeah, you know, I, I love a, that kind of stuff. Especially when it's a film you love and you want to know how this was made. You know, you want yeah. you want to see how Chris Nolan directed Inception. Like Inception has some pretty great featurettes that show the uh, behind the scenes of that film. Yeah, well, Christopher Nolan, a lot of stuff by him has some great special features. He's like one of yeah. those people that just packs special features into his releases. He cares. He cares. He want he wants the audience to soak in as much. He wants the audience to take a journey with him making the film as well as watching it. Yeah. Oh, by far. Because uh, yeah. the behind the scenes on the Batman Dark Knight trilogy are amazing. Like, it goes so in depth on different, like, stunts that they did, the background of things. Even the audio commentary is um, great for that one. If you ever have a chance or if you own it, 
I suggest um, there's a documentary behind the making of the last two Matrix films, uh, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, because uh, they were both shot back to back. Yeah. Um, it's called The Burly Man Chronicles. Yeah, I suggest, you know, watch that. And it shows like in detail how the Wachowski brothers directed. Oh, I'm sorry. Wachowski sisters now. My bad. How uh, how they directed those two films back to back. And it's a uh, it's a great thing to watch, man. Like you, you see I, these two. Yeah, I was not a fan of the later Matrix movies. I think they went downhill wholly after the first one. But I'll definitely check out the. I don't, ag- I don't agree with that. I really like Reloaded. Really? Revolutions, I get it. I that's a little bit, you know, so that's a little whatever. But Matrix Reloaded, man, I it ain't as good as the first one, but I think it's one step behind. Uh, Reloaded was the second one, right? Yeah, yeah. I mm, I, I I think it's quite you, a few steps behind the first. When you take into account the whole full story that is expanded from the first film to the second and third film. And you look at it as a whole, thematically, it does make sense. Like the the documentary kind of puts that in place for you, like as to how the Wachowskis went from the first film to expanding their world and going to two and three. When you look at the the behind the scenes kind of makes you um, a little more understanding of these films and why they are the way they are in, in contrast to the first film. I guess that's why my, my mind got a little expanded. Like, you know what? Maybe these films aren't as bad as I thought. The, the, Revolutions is okay, but I really like Matrix Reloaded. I'll have to watch the documentary and see if it changes my kind of viewpoints on them a little bit. Because as it stands, I wholly inferior to the first movie, in my opinion. When you watch documentaries of certain films, it's like you, you gain more of an appreciation of how it was made. Like, okay, a lot of thought went into this. Maybe I was a little cynical going in. Looking back on it now, looking at the making of this, I'm like, okay, I get the point now. Maybe, maybe it deserves a rewatch. Yeah, I, I'll see if I get that same kind of tone from it. But uh, as it stands right now, I was not a major fan of the sequels. Yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, some people don't like Bride of Chucky. I think Bride of Chucky is hilarious, but some people think it's just. It's just an eye movie. It's not one of the best <laughs> Chucky films, but I I, I, I dig it. Yeah. It, it, different tastes. <laughs> it happens. Different strokes for different folks. Different strokes. 